Hello, everyone. It's great to be back on again as we uh, will be discussing another uh, segment of the new uh, book review, which I began yesterday, uh, being Signing Their Lives Away, uh, The Fame and Misfortune of the Men Who Signed the Declaration of Independence, uh, written by Denise Kiernan and Joseph D. Agnes, a husband and wife uh, team who have uh, put together a remarkable uh, read for anyone who is interested in wanting to learn more about the men who uh, sacrificed so much to uh, make our country what it is uh, in terms of signing a document that uh, basically was um, the cornerstone of um, what it truly means uh, to be an American. Uh, in other words, the Declaration of Independence is like the equivalent of a uh, birth certificate. Well, last night I uh, talked about uh, the introduction of this book, and now we're going to uh, start talking about the 13 colonies. Now, I'm, there's no way I can do all 13 tonight, but we are going to start in the proper order of how uh, the colonies went about signing the Declaration of Independence. So, I guess my question to you all tonight, uh, the first bonus question is, did all 13 colonies per region sign the Declaration of Independence based on geographical order? In other words, northern colonies, middle colonies, southern colonies. Well, the answer is yes, All starting in the north with New Hampshire and all the way to Georgia. Which colonies made up what we now know as the northern colonies other than New Hampshire? You've got um, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, and New York. Your middle colonies would have been comprised of Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, and Maryland. As for the southern, and perhaps Virginia, I say Virginia is a middle colony because it really is the midway between the north and south especially given that Virginia is the largest of the 13. Then your southern colonies are none other than North and South Carolina and Georgia. So it does make very good um, practical sense to have all 13 colonies based on the region that they are located in to do this in geographical order. So, the colony that we're going to learn about tonight is New Hampshire. Why do we start with New Hampshire other than the fact that it's a northern colony and given that I just mentioned a second second ago that it that the colonies all signed on a regional basis. Well, New Hampshire, to give you a little history about New Hampshire, I think this is important that we um share a little history on each of the 13 colonies because for so long the only two colonies that I really was taught any major history on was Virginia and Massachusetts. Don't get me wrong. The two of them are essential, given that the English first settled in the New World in uh, Jamestown, or what we now know as Jamestown, Virginia, and then 13 years later, being 1620, the English come to Plymouth Rock. But why um, should we learn about the others? Well... They have a story to tell, too, just like uh, 
Virginia and Massachusetts do. So anyways, New Hampshire was first visited by English and French explorers between the time frame of 1600 and 1605, the very, very beginning of the 17th century. And what I find interesting about that is that uh, during that period between 1600 and 1605, the English and the French are exploring what we now know as New Hampshire, even before the English themselves actually um, set foot in what we now know as uh, present-day Virginia. Now, however, that's not to say that the English had um, made an earlier attempt to establish a colonial or a colony settlement, for that matter, in what we now know as um, present-day Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, back in 1585 under uh, Sir Walter Raleigh's uh, leadership. Uh, what we now know is that infamous lost colony. Now, who's in? Who is inhabiting New Hampshire? Well, it's. I think it's safe to say that um, all of the thirteen colonies are inhabited by people, not just people, but natives, people who came to what we now know as America well before Europeans did. The Indians. In New Hampshire, you have two Indian nation um, not uh, tribes, I guess, or what you call chiefdoms, the Androscoggin and the Penacook Indian nations. So, New Hampshire was first settled by Europeans, mostly of um, English, or what we call um, people from England who first settled in New Hampshire at a point known as Odeorn's Point in Rye, just outside of what we now know as uh, Portsmouth. It was first settled by a fisherman, it was settled by fishermen, rather, from England in 1623 under David Thompson. What's unique about 1623 is that it was three years after the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. But it's not until 1629 that New Hampshire becomes an official colony to the crown. It's named New Hampshire by John Mason, a former governor of, the, of Newfoundland. There is an English county known as Hampshire that was named after one of the first Saxon shires. What is a shire? I learned some years back that a shire is like the equivalent of... Um, a county, you know, like here in Virginia or anywhere else in the United States nowadays, you have what are called counties, but in England they are referred to as shires. Hampshire is located in the port of uh, Southampton, England. Well, in Virginia we have a county called Southampton County. As a matter of fact, um, Southampton, England was... Um, the title of those who were of a prestigious um, rank in English society, uh, most notably of being a male, his role um, was referred to as the Earl of Southampton. And when you are an Earl, that is a very, very high-ranking, distinguished honor. Uh, I learned uh, in Jamestown once that um, a man by the name of Ryathsley 
I think that's the right way to pronounce it. I can't remember his first name, but at least I remember his last name, Ryathsley. He was known as the Earl of Southampton. Well, interesting enough, you have Hampton, Virginia. There's Hampton, England. Well, it's safe to say that to the south of Hampton would have been Southampton. To the north would have been Northampton. And what do you know? Virginia, for example, has a county called Northampton County on its eastern shore. Southampton County is in the Tidewater area, not too terribly far from um, Virginia Beach and Norfolk. So there is a reason why New Hampshire gets its name, being that it is um, in the port of Southampton. Well, how many um, men from New Hampshire signed the Declaration of Independence? I'll give you a hint. That number is between three and five. The answer is three. Who are these three men that signed this document? They are Josiah Bartlett, William Whipple, Matthew Thornton. I decided that it would be best, given that there were three, I had two choices. I could have uh, talked about all three tonight, but instead I've decided to talk about two. Not that the other individual whom I left out wasn't worth sharing. I just figured that, hey, maybe it's best to talk about two, and then um, if anybody wants to learn about the other one whose name isn't mentioned, can do so at their own discretion. Well... We're going to start with Josiah Bartlett. I found him, along, along with the other fellow who I will talk about secondly, to be both very unique for the time that they lived in, but how they went about representing New Hampshire. Josiah Bartlett was born in the year 1729. You know what's interesting about that? is that that would have made him three years older than George Washington. Think about it. Josiah Bartlett's three years older than George Washington, who would go on to be the founding father of our country. He's six years older than John Adams. He's even about 14 years older than Thomas Jefferson, who who is about 33 years of age when signing the Declaration, when authoring the Declaration of Independence. So Josiah Bartlett is born in 1729, and believe it or not, people, all of the signers to this document were born at a time when the colonies themselves were on pretty good terms with England. As I mentioned from Dan Abrams' novel, uh, John Adams Under Fire, uh, if there were um, issues, they were mild, they were isolated, and they were quickly resolved with the crown. So Josiah Bartlett is the son of a cobbler. Does anybody know what a cobbler is? Another name for shoemaker. Josiah Bartlett had very little formal education, but it didn't stop him from becoming something. And what I mean by becoming something, meaning that, hey, even if you don't have much to begin with, you still have an opportunity to make a name for yourself. And that's what Mr. Bartlett did. He went on to study medicine and 
and he became a doctor. He established a practice in Kingston, New Hampshire, uh, which turns out to be located uh, somewhere near the border, or I should say the uh, New Hampshire-Massachusetts border. Well, when did, uh, how does Mr. Bartlett go about having um, a time for a political career, given that he's a doctor? Well, believe it or not, if you are a doctor, you don't have to re- revolve your life around just practicing medicine alone. Doctors themselves were able to do a, a variety of other um what do you call it, um, acts of um, good services to their communities. Just like what doctors can do in today's time. Well, Mr. Bartlett's political career started in 1765. And how ironic, that same year that Parliament passes that infamous Stamp Act, Taxation Without Representation, he he became a member of New Hampshire's Provincial Assembly. He received appointments from the royal governor as a colonel in the militia to being justice of the peace. And what that means by being justice of the peace, meaning that you you work to do whatever there is necessary to ensure that peace is maintained at all times without resorting to violence that could disrupt everything one has worked for in regards to maintaining proper proper order and stability within the community. Well, what what happens in 1765? Okay, other than the Stamp Act passage. Well, people are lamenting it. They are angry that um, they have been deprived of a voice. They've been deprived of proper means of consent. We didn't authorize Parliament to pass this law. Why? Because we weren't given a say to begin with. So that makes Josiah Bartlett all the more determined to say, hey, we need a change in direction. And, and by doing so, he's willing to give up being justice of the peace. So what does he do to start a little rebellion? He and others help form the New Hampshire Provincial Congress. In other words, an interim form of government that can function without the, without the use of a higher governing system being none other than the infamous parliament. Well, Josiah Bartlett accomplished a lot in his time. He was the first person, or should I say the first man, to cast a vote for independence on July 2nd. He was also the first person to approve Declaration of Independence on July 4th. He was the first person to sign the final draft of the Declaration of, it, of, the Declaration of Independence on August the 2nd, after John Hancock did so. Of course, there again, as I said from yesterday, everybody was under the assumption that the actual document was signed on July the 4th. July 2nd was the day of motioning. July 4th was the official day of declaration. But it didn't but it turns out that um, the final blueprint, the actual blueprint that we know of today, that we see um, hanging up, whether we go to Independence Hall in Philadelphia or at the um, 
National Archives in D.C. That document is what we is what we can think of as being the final document that came about on August the second. Well, how old was Mr. Bartlett at the time of the signing? He was forty six years old, and now you think about it at forty six. You could say, on one hand, that's old age. It's crazy to say that, but remember, in 1776, most people did not make it past the age of 30. On the other hand, it has been known that if you lived in the northern colonies, your chances of of a longer life expectancy were a bit higher than, say, living somewhere like in Georgia or South Carolina. So, yes, he was 46 years old at the time of the signing. Well, what else did he do other than just sign this unique document? Well, he served as a doctor. I mean, remember, he's already established a successful medical practice. But he continues to serve as a doctor to the New Hampshire militia and to uh, continental troops in battles uh, from within the northern colonies. He becomes a Chief Justice of the New Hampshire Court of Common Pleas as well as a Chief Justice of the Superior Court. As the years went by, I should say about 11 years after, in 1787, and of course I know I shouldn't get too far ahead of this, but this is also important about Josiah Bartlett. In 1787, which is the year that our United States Constitution came into being, and it still remains intact 233 years later. Josiah Bartlett, he helped New Hampshire ratify the U.S. Constitution. Think about this, 13 colonies. How many do you need in order for, in order for the Constitution itself to become an official document? I'll give you a hint. The number is between 8 and 10. The answer is nine. New Hampshire became the ninth state to ratify the U.S. Constitution. The number nine was the magic number for ratification. Without New Hampshire, we might not have a Constitution today. We must remember that. It's not just states coming together as agreement. It's the number. Without that magic number nine, thank you, New Hampshire, There might not be a constitution as we know today. Josiah Bartlett also served as governor of New Hampshire. And in the year 1790, he was awarded an honorary doctor of medicine degree from Dartmouth College, which we now know, yes, is still considered Dartmouth College. Dartmouth College being an Ivy League school. He was also the founder and the first president of the New Hampshire Medical Society. Even three of his own sons went on to become doctors. It is safe to say that Josiah Bartlett lived a phenomenal life. He left an enduring legacy, not just for New Hampshire, but for our, for our young republic. After all, think about it. He, he lived to be age 65. That is considered to be very old for his time. To us, that might still be considered young in today's time. But think about it. With all the uncertainties in the world that he lived through, to have made it to 65 was remarkable. 
and the fact that he was um, the first to do so much for his um, state. In other words, he was uh, the first to um, approve the Declaration of Independence, not only on July 4th, but he was the first person to cast a vote on July 2nd. Somebody has to be that first person to do something. And what do you know? It was none other than Mr. Josiah Bartlett. Well, which of the 13 colonies was the first to oust its royal governor and declare independence from Great Britain? And I should say that this move took place six months before Congress actually declared independence uh, on July 4th. Well, that's an easy answer. It's none other than New Hampshire. Who, um, which um, individual from um, New Hampshire, he was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Who was that person that helped um, oust the um, royal governor along with declaring independence from Great Britain six months before July 4th. Who was that individual? It wasn't Josiah Bartlett, but he still played a phenomenal role for New Hampshire, as mentioned a moment ago. That answer was Matthew Thornton. He was an Irish-born physician, a farmer, and would later become a ferry operator. He was behind all of this. Matthew Thornton was born around 1714, and think about this, Benjamin Franklin's not even 10 years of age by this time. He's about 8 years old, but to think Matthew Thornton was born about 18 years before George Washington was. He was born 8 years before Sam Adams, a good, close to about a good 30 years before Thomas Jefferson himself was born. Matthew Thornton was not born in America. He was born originally in um, Ireland. But he and his family came to America in escaping religious persecution from England and Scotland. So I I take it back. He was born either in England or Scotland. But it is uh, safe to say, though, that um, people who are of Scotch... um, Faith also are connected with Ireland. After all, Scotland and and Ireland are subjects of uh, the mighty um, English Empire. Well, like Josiah Bartlett, Matthew Thornton studied medicine. He established a practice in Londonderry. He, He, like Josiah Bartlett, was also appointed colonel to the militia and a justice of the peace to the royal governor. Well... You could almost say that Matthew Thornton and Josiah Bartlett are like two peas in a pod. Why? Because they were both very passionate about independence, but they but both of them were um, both of them were impacted by a piece of legislation that Parliament passed. It was none other than that infamous Stamp Act. Parliament's passage of that infamous Stamp Act in 1765 turned the tide regarding political allegiances, not only for Matthew Thornton, but for Josiah Bartlett and perhaps for everyone else in New Hampshire. Well, what, what else was Matthew Thornton doing in terms of contributing to the good 
leading to what we call eventual um, separation from England, wanting that term known as independence. Well, Mr. Thornton served as chairman of the local committee on safety, which was charged with uh, protecting citizens by mounting defenses, meaning how do you go about securing people's well-being? How do you go about protecting them from outsiders who want, uh, who want to um, wish harm? Well, in 1776, that was a pretty big year for New Hampshire, not just signing the Declaration of Independence, but for Matthew Thornton, he, became, he becomes New Hampshire's first non-royal governor. And how ironic for Virginia in 1776, not to get off track, but this is the case, Patrick Henry obviously became Virginia's first non-royal governor that same year. So there were a lot of firsts in the colonies, not just so much signing the Declaration of Independence, but electing what we call non-royal governors. Mr. Thornton also helped create New Hampshire's first constitution, which ironically was the first of its kind to be adopted in America. So, not to get sidetracked, but here we've been led to believe that the U.S. Constitution was the first actual constitutional document. That's not the case. New Hampshire was the first to do that kind of thing on a state level, but still, having a constitution established prior to um, going to war, uh, or should I say not prior to going to war, but prior to officially... Um, declaring separation from England, that was a big deal. But here's, here's another unique twist to Matthew Thornton. Okay, we all know that, um, the, that the Declaration of Independence was officially um, declared an, an actual document enticing, or not enticing, but an actual declared document officially stating our separation from England on July 4th. Mr. Thornton was not appointed to Congress until September, two months after Declaration of Independence was adopted. Apparently, he did not sign the document until November. However, there still is a debate that lingers on today as to who really signed it last, because historians know that there are, that there are a few other signers whose um, year in which they signed the document still remains a little... Um, sketchy. Well, how old did Mr. Thornton live to be? He lived to be about the age of 80, 89 in 1803 is when he died, and to have lived to have been close to 90 at that time was beyond remarkable. When you consider um, how much um, uncertainty there was with diseases, with illnesses, you know, situations in, to, in today's time that we often take for granted in terms of uh, treatments, there was a lot of unknown uncertainty when it came to um, how old one could be expected to live. But Mr. Thornton lived to be 89. Josiah Bartlett, 65. You combine the two ages, 89, 65, 154, both of them lived on average, or, or close to an average of 77 years of life when you combine both two, both men's ages. What is the New Hampshire state motto? 
live free or die. Who created this phrase, or this motto, I should say? A man by the name of General John Stark, who was the hero at the Battle of Bennington, New York, in 1777. That battle was comprised of uh, men from uh, New Hampshire who uh, were fighting in that battle. The way I interpret New Hampshire's motto is the following. The first part, live free. What does that mean? It means coming together as one unit and making the ultimate sacrifice. And what is that ultimate sacri- what is what should that ultimate sacrifice be? Securing freedom, not just for the present, but for future generations to come. The other mean the other uh, piece is die. To die means you to me it means surrendering without a fight. In other words, if you want to live free, you've got to make all the ultimate sacrifices there are possible to ensure that, um, as stated a moment ago, that uh, the present generation is safe. But how are you going to ensure that the f- that future generations are going to enjoy those same freedoms and blessings? It's not going to be handed to you. You have to earn it. And that's what the men from New Hampshire set out to do. They... Um, they they did a lot of first things. They helped create the first constitution before we ever knew what a federal constitution meant. They also went about um, declaring independence six months out before everyone else did. There had to be someone who could do something. There had to be a colony and its people who could do something differently before everyone else did. And that was none other than New Hampshire. Well, that ends um, this session of the Podcast 101. But I look forward to sharing more about the other colonies. And if it means doing one colony per each session, that's quite all right. And besides, I'm not in any rush. And if anybody thinks I ought to be in a rush then that that person or those individuals should think very carefully because history is something that should not be rushed into. It's something that should be investigated. And I feel like I am my own investigator with all this, but that but there's a reason why. Remember this. We all just didn't come together on one day and say, hey, we're going to declare our independence from England. So here's this document. Everybody sign and and we're, we'll go about our rosy way and say, hey, we just did the impossible. No, that is not how it works. That was not how it worked, rather, I should say. There was a lot of blood, sweat, and toil, meaning that all of all 13 colonies, all individuals from those 13 colonies had to come together, as, as mentioned from last night, to sort out their differences. I can only imagine what the men from New Hampshire thought of those men from South Carolina, for example. I can only imagine what, the, what it must have been like to have met a group of men from the northernmost part of colonial America being New Hampshire all the way to the southernmost ends, being the Carolinas and Georgia. What could those men have had in common? They made it work. And I will mention this again, because no matter where you hailed from, being the northern, the middle, or the southern colonies, 
Everybody had a role to play. And everyone came together to make the sacrifice of making our nation not only what it was in 1776, but what it is today, even through thick and thin. Thank you, God bless, and I look forward to another upcoming session here soon. Good night.